Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Bodhidharma's Bloodstream Sermon. Whoever sees her nature is a Buddha. To find a Buddha, all you have to do is to see your nature. Your nature is the Buddha. And the Buddha is the person who's free, free of plans, free of cares. If you don't see your nature and run around all day looking somewhere else, you'll never find a Buddha. The truth is, there's nothing to find. But to reach such an understanding, you need a teacher and you need to struggle to make yourself understand. Life and death are important. Don't suffer them in vain. There's no advantage in deceiving yourself. Even if you have mountains of jewels and as many servants as there are grains of sand along the Ganges, you see them when your eyes are open. But what about when your eyes are shut? You should realize then that everything you see is like a dream or illusion. If you don't find a teacher, you'll live this life in vain. It's true, you have the Buddha nature, but without the help of a teacher, you'll never know it. Only one person in a million becomes enlightened without a teacher's help. People who don't understand and think they can do so without study are no different from those deluded souls who can't tell white from black. Whoever sees her nature is a Buddha. Whoever doesn't is a mortal. But if you can find your Buddha nature apart from your mortal nature, where is it? Our mortal nature is our Buddha nature. Beyond this nature, there's no Buddha. The Buddha is our nature. There's no Buddha besides this nature. And there's no nature besides the Buddha. Unless you see your nature, all this talk about cause and effect is nonsense. Buddhas don't practice nonsense. A Buddha is free of karma, free of cause and effect. To say she attains anything is to slander a Buddha. What could she possibly attain? Even focusing on a mind, a power, an understanding, or a view is impossible for a Buddha. A Buddha isn't one-sided. The nature of her mind is basically empty, neither pure nor impure. She's free of cause and effect. A Buddha, a Buddha doesn't observe precepts. A Buddha doesn't do good or evil. A Buddha isn't energetic or lazy. A Buddha isn't a Buddha. Don't think about Buddhas. 
If you don't see what I'm talking about, you'll never know your own mind. Good afternoon, everybody. It's wonderful to be back at Daibosatsu Zendo. How many people have just come back to Daibosatsu for the first time since the pandemic? Less than I would have thought. This is my first time since the pandemic started, and it's a wonderful feeling to be back home again. It really is. And to see all of you, the beautiful faces, even behind a mask, there are such beautiful faces. Luminous beings. Even though perhaps on the second day of Rahatsu, you don't really feel like luminous beings. Some of you may be experiencing pain. Some may be in a dark place. But this is the process. You are luminous beings. But it doesn't always seem that way. The first chant that we do in morning service, Atta Deepa, talks about this very issue. Dwell. You are the light itself. Rely on yourself. Do not rely on others. The Dharma is the light itself. Do not rely on anything other than the Dharma. You are the light itself, even if you don't feel that way, even if everything hurts, even if it's moment after moment of sleepy zazen, even if your mind is wandering. You are the light itself. Bodhidharma talks about this in his bloodstream sermon. To find the Buddha, all you have to do is to see your nature. Your nature is the Buddha. Just as you are the light itself and the Dharma is the light itself, by the operation of equivalencies, you are the Dharma. Light meeting light.
Your nature is the Buddha. Is the Buddha Dharma. And the Buddha is the person who's free. Free of plans, free of cares. If you don't see your nature and run around all day looking somewhere else, you'll never find a Buddha. And the very first line of Atadipa is dwell. Don't go looking off someplace else. Don't go looking at an altar. Don't go looking in books. Not that there's anything wrong with an altar and not that there's anything wrong with books. But to find the Buddha, all you have to do is to realize your own nature. See your own nature. Dwell. Chill. Just be here. Don't go looking somewhere else. The truth is, there's nothing to find. If you are the Buddha from the very beginning, what are you looking for? This sermon is such a wonderful encapsulation of what Zen practice is. You are the Buddha. You are the awakened one. You are the Dharma. You are the light itself. So then why do you feel so crappy? Why so much confusion? Why so much pain? Why so much being buffeted by the winds of impermanence? Bodhidharma says, to reach this understanding that there's nothing to find, you need a teacher. And you need to struggle to make yourself understand. There may be a rare individual who from an early age has the sense of completeness, of wholeness, of this is as it must be. Nothing to do nothing, no need to change. There may be such a rare individual, but Bodhidharma tells us such an individual is one in a million. This is not the common human experience. The common human experience is to be stuck on the first of the Four Noble Truths, the truth of dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, suffering. It's hard to watch 
loved ones die. It's hard to have our dreams destroyed. It's hard to stub our toe. It's hard when the toast burns and it tastes cruddy. It's hard when you finally reach the so-called top and find a hollowness inside. It's hard when you don't know what direction to go in. It's hard when you feel that no one understands you. It's harder yet when you feel that you don't understand yourself. This is the common experience. This is something that we all have experienced and will experience no matter how so-called enlightened we may become. The truth is there's nothing to find, nothing to do, nowhere that needs to be gone to, but to reach this understanding, you need a teacher. More than needing a teacher, you need a vow. With a strong vow, the teacher will present herself or himself. With a strong vow, everything is your teacher. This mask that makes it so difficult to breathe is your teacher. Taking the mask off is your teacher. The pandemic with all of the suffering and disturbances that it has wrought is your teacher. If you are pointed in the right direction. And this pointing in the right direction is so important. Every morning we chant Shujo Muhen Segando. However innumerable all beings are, I vow to save them all. However inexhaustible delusions are, I vow to extinguish them all. However immeasurable Dharma teachings are, I vow to master them all. However endless the Buddha's way is, I vow to follow it. To say these words and to hold them in your heart is already Buddhahood. Last night, Hakuin Ekaku Zenji's 
Rohatsu exhortation. His description of how one should attain samadhi through breath counting and work on their koan and exert oneself. He says, if you continue in this way for weeks and months and years, you can't fail to attain Kensho. And I'll say, if you truly hold the great vows for all in your heart, then no matter the difficulties, no matter the struggles, you will see your own nature which is the Buddha nature. To reach such an understanding, you need a teacher. We're very fortunate to have Shinge Roshi, Jigan Roshi, teachers with boundless heart boundless compassion and great understanding but the teacher cannot do it for you you need to struggle. You need to try your best. Moment by moment. Not just here. Not just during Rahatsu session. But every moment. Moment by moment. You need to struggle to make yourself understand. Life and death are important. Don't suffer them in vain. There's no advantage in deceiving yourself. These are the words of Bodhidharma. And this is Zen practice. You are luminous beings. Even when everything is telling you otherwise. You are the light itself. Even when you don't feel very much light. And to reach this point, 
of understanding requires a teacher, requires effort, dedication, and above all, a vow. While we're on the subject of light and teachers, I have a poem to share with you. But first, a little drink of tea. The last time I spoke about Bodhidharma's bloodstream sermon, I read a poem by the Persian poet Rumi. And this poem is not by Rumi, but by another Persian poet, another Sufi master, Hafiz. Hafiz lived about a century after Rumi, roughly around the time of the Black Plague in Europe in the 14th century. This is translated by Daniel Ladinsky and it's called Faithful Lover. The moon came to me last night with a sweet question. She said, the sun has been my faithful lover for millions of years. Whenever I offer my body to him, brilliant light pours from his heart. Thousands then notice my happiness and delight in pointing toward my beauty. Hafiz, is it true that our destiny is to turn into light itself? And I replied, Dear Moon, now that your love is maturing, We need to sit together close like this more often. So I might instruct you how to become who you are. It's a beautiful poem. It mirrors the words of Atadipa. And it mirrors the words of Bodhidharma. You are the light itself. Now that your love is maturing, Now that you have made this vow, we need to sit together
close like this more often. Just like this. So I might instruct you how to become who you are. Bodhidharma says, if you don't find a teacher, you live this life in vain. It's true you have the Buddha nature. It's true that you are light itself. But without the help of a teacher, you'll never know it. Only one person in a million becomes enlightened without a teacher's help. And there's a story about Hafiz and how he met his teacher. Hafiz was a poor man, the son of a coal merchant, the third son of a coal merchant, which is pretty well down on the social ladder. And he was working in a bakery. He was a baker's assistant. And he would work during the day and spend his money for tuition to study with a teacher, studying calligraphy, the Quran, all the subjects that an educated person would need to know in 14th century Persia. And one day he happened to see a beautiful young lady standing on a balcony, the daughter of a rich man, as they say, way out of his league nowhere near his league. Hafiz was poor, short, unattractive. He didn't have a prayer with this young lady. But he became so smitten with her, looking up at the balcony like Dante and Beatrice. So completely besotted with her that he started writing love poetry. And he actually became well known, but it didn't bring him any closer to his beloved. And there was a legend that if one sat a 40-night vigil at the tomb of a particular saint, that God would grant whatever one desired. And so Hafiz 
even while continuing to work at the bakery, spent 40 nights at this tomb. Working during the day, sitting vigil at night for 40 days, 40 nights. And as he completed the vigil, the Archangel Gabriel appeared to him. Now, this may sound like nonsense, but if you've ever gone 40 nights without sleeping, you'll see things even stranger than an Archangel. So the Archangel Gabriel appeared to Hafiz and asked Hafiz what he desired. And Hafiz was overcome with admiration, love, ecstasy at seeing this beautiful angel, the most beautiful thing that he had ever seen. And he thought to himself, well, if this angel is so achingly beautiful, and the angel is simply a servant of God, well, then God is what I really want. That was the moment of Hafiz's vow. The angel told Hafiz, there's someone you need to see. And he directed Hafiz to his teacher. Haji Zain al-Attar, who was on the social scale a person of no importance. Very few people knew that he had anything to do with teaching or that he was a Sufi master. Sufis tended to lay low. They were never completely sure where they stood with the authorities in terms of heresy. And so they tended to, when they taught or wrote poetry, they would write it in code. And it appeared just as love poetry. But the object of the love was not a human being. The object was God. And so Hafiz spent the next 40 years studying with 
Haji Zain al-Attar. Fulfilling the vow that he had made to the angel. And finally, when Hafiz was 60 or 61 years old and had had just about enough of his teacher demanding and pushing and prodding. I mean, imagine 40 years of Dokusan with the same person. Hafiz decided, well, I have got to get to the bottom of this. I have got to finally realize God, realize my true nature, realize the Dharma, realize the Buddha. And so Hafiz drew a circle on the ground and for the next 40 days and 40 nights he did not move from that circle. A one-person session. In the Bible they say Jesus wandered out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Hafiz didn't bother with the desert. He just drew a circle on the ground. Dwell! No reason to go running off. Just sit and sit and sit. And at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, Hafiz's teacher brought him a glass of wine. And when Hafiz took the glass, he experienced absolute emptiness. And at that moment, Hafiz became Hafiz. Hafiz saw his nature. Exactly the same process that we are undergoing. People who don't understand and think they can do so without study are no different from those deluded souls who can't tell white from black. Whoever sees her nature is a Buddha. Whoever doesn't is a mortal. 
But if you can find your Buddha nature apart from your mortal nature, where is it? Hafiz saw his nature. Shakyamuni Buddha, on the morning of December 8th, in communion with the morning star, saw his nature. And nothing changed. Shakyamuni Buddha was still a human being who would grow old and die, who would suffer pain and illness, divisions in the Sangha, all of the usual cares, with the one exception that he no longer needed to look anywhere else. He had literally been enlightened. He had seen the light, in this case, the light of the morning star and the light of his own nature. Still mortal. Hafiz, when he took the glass of wine from his teacher and felt his being suffused with light and pure love, was still Hafiz, or perhaps was now, only now, truly Hafiz. but still mortal, still subject to all of the ills and difficulties of being mortal, still subject to death. Our mortal nature is our Buddha nature. This being sitting in the Zendo with so much pain, everything hurts, everything hurts. Well, you know, maybe, maybe this little finger doesn't hurt, but everything else hurts. And the sleepiness comes, and the mind wandering comes. This mortal nature, but still the Buddha. Beyond this nature, there's no Buddha. This is the fundamental teaching of Zen. Don't look elsewhere. Beyond who you are, there is no Buddha.
and yet we need to sit together like this as Hafiz said to the moon now that your love is maturing now that your vow is strong We need to sit together close like this more often. So I might instruct you how to become who you are. Unless you see your nature, all this talk about cause and effect is nonsense. Buddhas don't practice nonsense. A Buddha is free of karma, free of cause and effect. Not that cause and effect are negated. This is a subtle point. Cause and effect is still cause and effect. Shakyamuni Buddha, according to one legend about how he died, ate tainted pork, accepting whatever was offered, and ate. what he shouldn't have eaten and died a miserable death. Cause and effect are not negated. And yet Hakuin Zenji tells us the unity of cause and effect. No other way. A radical acceptance, a radical realization to say she attains anything is to slander a Buddha what could she possibly attain Nothing to attain, nothing to lose. As Bodhidharma says, the truth is there's nothing to find. But to reach this position of knowing, not between the ears, 
but here and here and here knowing in one's entire being that there's nothing to find that there's no Buddha outside your own nature this is not attaining this is just turning on the light this is opening your eyes. This is seeing reality as it is. Even focusing on a mind, a power, an understanding or a view is impossible for a Buddha. A Buddha isn't one-sided. A Buddha is open-hearted. A Buddha is open-minded. A Buddha is aligned with reality. The nature of her mind is basically empty, neither pure nor impure. She's free of cause and effect. Now, it wouldn't be Zen without this final paragraph. A Buddha doesn't observe precepts. A Buddha doesn't do good or evil. A Buddha isn't energetic or lady. A Buddha isn't a Buddha. Just stop with all the nonsense. Don't think about Buddhas. Enough already. If you don't see what I'm talking about, you'll never know your own mind. Don't go chasing after Buddhas. Don't go thinking about Buddhas. Don't desire to become a Buddha. Dwell. Open your eyes, open your heart, Open your mind. Become who you are. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.